Our Father in heaven, we declare again this morning that you are majestic, that you are glorious, that there is no one and nothing that compares to you. You rule above, you rule below, you hold everything together according to your mighty power. And Father, we worship you this morning. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who rules with love. And so, Lord, as we come and we bow our knees before you and we consider again what some of the things are that you love, some of the things that you pursue, that you desire to see in us and through us, that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to us this morning. That you would come and speak to us again in a new way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, good morning. Huyumora. Molweni. Moro. Jambo. Bonjour. in my ancestors' language. Welcome to this morning's worship service. It's so great that you guys can be with us. Um, we heard this morning earlier that Cindy had just passed over 30, was it 35 Ks? So she is huffing and puffing. Um, I'm sure she's enjoying um, the moment of running this race that she has so... Um, Oh, she's at 40 Ks. Wow. It's like, like 50 to go? Wow. That is beyond me. <laughs> um, I think just before we start, I just want to say from personally from my side and from Cindy's side, I just want to say thank you so much um, to all of you guys for your prayers and for your care. Um, for our family, yesterday we were able to lay to rest Cindy's brother, um, and we met in the auditorium, which turned out not to be big enough to house everybody. Um, but it was an amazing moment and time for us just to grieve. Um, but I just want to honor you guys and say thank you so much for your prayers, um, and we really appreciate it. We really feel carried um, and encircled by by. Uh, you guys as our family today. So as you heard, um, this morning we're going to focus on the topic of justice. Um, and what we're going to look at is the stream, this thread of justice that runs throughout the entire story of Scripture. And we hope that at the end of what we're going to look at this morning that you'll see that the gospel is actually a story of justice. Now, have you ever thought about how well you know and understand Yahweh? How often do you think about how well you understand Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah, Jesus? There are moments when I think about that. How well do I understand this God whom I have devoted my life to? And I think sometimes we forget about the fact that God is a God who actually 
loves justice. And there's a particular text that I want to start with this morning from Jeremiah chapter 9. And Jeremiah, as we know, was called the weeping prophet. Um, he was someone who cried a lot alongside Yahweh. And he, he was crying because of the condition of the hearts of God's people. And he wept for that. In fact, in the, in the chapter just before chapter 9, he actually asks, isn't there a physician there where they are that can work on the hearts of God's people? He asks, isn't there a balm of Gilead that can be applied to the hearts of God's people that have turned against him and no longer love and desire the things that Yahweh, that Elohim, that Adonai desires. And so these are the words that I want to read for us as we open and consider this topic of justice. In chapter 23 of Jeremiah chapter uh, 9, he says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So this morning we want to meditate on this thing that Yahweh finds delight in. We want to hear again a very well-known story that we are well familiar with. And we want to hear what he wants to say to us again this morning. So we want to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And so what we're going to do with the Mercy and Justice team, with Jackie and Steffi and Vaughan this morning, is to try to tell the whole story of the Bible in 25 minutes. <laughs> and each one of us will take a particular part, and you'll notice that we'll be skipping over some scriptures that to you might be very significant. But I trust that you will be able to track with us as we again meditate on God's word. Before I hand over to Jackie, I want to introduce just this theme again of justice with a story that some of you may well have heard before. And it's the story of this village that was set up alongside a river. And there were people who lived in this village and they went about their day-to-day -day lives there. And on one particular day, while they were going about their business in this village on the side of the river and they were looking at the river that was flowing past them they noticed three bodies come floating down the river and they realized that some of these bodies these people were still alive and so they rallied together quite quickly and some of the men got into the canoes and they they paddled out to where these bodies were and they dragged these three bodies back onto the shore and they helped these people. And one of them turned out to be a young child. And so they showed generosity 
and mercy and compassion to these three people. Unfortunately, one of them passed. And one of the families in the village adopted the young child. But then a number of days afterwards, some more bodies came floating down the river. And in fact, it became a regular occurrence that every few days, bodies would come floating down this river past this particular village. And so they organized themselves. They put together parties of people who would anticipate these people who were in need who would come floating down this river. And so they would go out and help these people out, and they would offer them again mercy and compassion and generosity. But on one particular day, these villagers decided that they wanted to find out the reason why these bodies kept come floating down the river. And so they put together a party of people who equipped themselves and they walked up along the banks of the river to go and find out the reason that these people kept come floating down the river. Now this mission that they went on was a mission of justice. The actions of assistance and help to the people who came floating by were actions of mercy and compassion and generosity. But the mission to go and find out the reason why these people kept coming floating down was to get to the source, to get to the root cause and to set things right. That is the mission of justice. And so we are called to be engaged in all of those actions. In actions of mercy, of generosity, of compassion. But we are also called to be the ones who go and get to the root cause. To the reason why these people are in need of mercy and compassion and generosity. Good morning. So yes, we're going to try and work our way through the whole story of the Bible this morning, but let's just group it into scenes like we have when we watch a play, and I'm going to be introducing you to the first scene, and not even the whole scene. I'm going to focus in on one special moment, and I'm going to read from Genesis 1, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. A very familiar story. And we know by this stage, God had created humanity in the image of God. And we know that all of creation had been made in this interconnected relationship with each other. And God's declaration, it's very good. The Hebrew words for very good Excuse my pronunciation, but I believe they are tov meod. Tov is good, and meod is very. So this intense goodness, this deep goodness. Lisa Sharon Harper, the author of The Very Good Gospel, How Everything Wrong Can Be Made Right, helps us understand that in Hebrew, this word tov, goodness, 
is not actually a description of a thing or a person. It's usually used as a description of the goodness as seen as something existing between things. So it is about the wellness of our relatedness, the wellness of our relationship. So let's actually pause here and consider this idea that goodness is in the in-betweenness of things and think about God's creation, the goodness between the water and the dry land and the sky, the goodness between how plants and animals and humans relate, between the sun and the stars and the moon, between humans and God, between Adam and Eve, all the ways that things all work together, the goodness in between them is very good. And to again quote from Lisa Sharon Harper, she says in Genesis 1, what we see is all blessed by all. And what she's saying here is each part is blessing every other part and is receiving blessing from every other part. And that is how God made things to work. And there's one Hebrew word that actually captures this wellness of relationships. This word is shalom. Now, we don't actually have a word for it in English. We translate it as peace, but that doesn't fully express what shalom is. So we're going to need some help. Author Oshita Moore, she wrote a book on shalom. She defines shalom this way. It is God's dream for the world as it should be. Whole, vibrant, flourishing, unified, and yes, at peace. Shalom is God's dream for his love to bring wholeness and goodness to all the world and everything in it, including you and me. Theologian Walter Brueggemann explains shalom this way. It is a persistent vision of joy, well-being, harmony, prosperity. Now, if you are like me and are raised in a culture that's quite individualistic, then perhaps we can grasp where shalom applies to us personally. Like inner peace, I can get that. Peace with God, I can get that. But I do need to stretch my imagination, my understanding when it comes to this communal nature of shalom. And maybe the, the Isikosa and Isizulu concept of Ubuntu can help us to better understand this. So Ubuntu means humanity, but it's actually rooted in a phrase, which I hope I'm going to get right. Umtu ngumtu ngabantu. Which means a person is a person through other people. The wellness of ourselves is totally related to the wellness of our relationships with all other people. It cannot be separated. And this is what Shalom speaks to. And then Shalom adds another dimension, that the wellness of our connections with each other is related to the wellness of our connection with God. And vice versa. Our wellness of our connection to God is related to how we connect with each other. And then to stretch us even more, I'm doing a lot of stretching, Julia. Can you see that? I'm totally out of my comfort zone here. Um, shalom takes it further, that our relationship with God and our relationship with each other is interrelated 
with how we engage with plants and animals and all of God's creation. So let's just pause. Lord, help us to see. Help us to grasp this most wonderful vision of Tov, Neod, this goodness that you've created, and of this beautiful vision of Shalom in all its fullness. We need your revelation. Amen. Coming back to our story, we know that the scene continues, and in Genesis 3, we see, we sadly see that Shalom gets unraveled. Adam and Eve choose their own way, and the wellness of all relationships starts breaking down. And we see this disconnection now between humans and God, this disconnection between men and women, between humans and God's creation. And then in Genesis 4, we see the disconnection and breakdown of family relationships in Cain and Abel. And not long after that, a little bit further in Genesis, we see the further unraveling of Shalom as ethnic conflicts break out and national conflicts and wars become a thing. But we know that God doesn't leave it like this. With all this brokenness, the Bible story continues. And it's about how God is working to put things right, to restore shalom. I hand over to Steffi for scene two. Thank you, Jackie. So in that Eden story, originally, um, God wanted to have shalom, of course, with his creation and all of that. But I'm going to speak to the next slide. Um, God partners with his creation to demonstrate shalom and justice to the world. So I'm just going to read from Genesis 12 first. The call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The scripture goes on to speak about Abraham traveling with his family. Verse 6 says, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Sishem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. What was highlighted to me in this scripture is... Um, God calls Abraham and his family to be a family of blessing, and from him would come so much more blessing, and shalom. And he was going to do this by guiding his family to this new land called Canaan. But at that time, there were already inhabitants in the land. And so to me, it's about there's going to have to be a new way that replaces the old way. And it would be the way of Yahweh, which is shalom. And later on, we fast forward to Exodus 19, verse 6. This is the time when God has set free Israel, and he says to them, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God has called these people now into an action role, a priestly role, and, uh, and to be set apart. So there's both this identity of being holy and set apart, but also now taking on this priestly role of bringing shalom as representatives of Yahweh. 
Now we go forward to Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 12 and 13 and then jump forward a bit. Um, this is during the reign of the kings of Judah and much later after Exodus. But Israel has, in fact, right after um, chapter 19, we hear a lot of the commandments, all the different laws, and then that literally when those chapters end, chapter 32, we have the golden calf scene. So Israel has failed um, many times over. And the prophet Isaiah says here, when you come to appear before me, who has, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Move further down, verse 17. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Move further down to verse 21, which has a little subtitle, The Unfaithful City like that picture, how the faithful city has become a whore, she who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. So here, this nation that was called to be a royal priesthood has failed and is adulterous and even though they try to show honor to God, he says here, bring no more vain offerings. They're still trying to practice these acts of worship, but it's empty religion. And um, God is pointing out, you are not doing what I desire, what I want, which we are presenting the case here today, which is bringing shalom. Instead, you're coming to me in empty religion, so away from me. And now we move on to, um, so God is partnering, wants to partner with his people, but we are in a broken state and he wants to establish a new kingdom and a new king, which Vaughan will now speak to in terms of the prophecies of a new kingdom and new king. Thanks, Steffi. Hi, everybody. Yeah, the good news is that through that whole sin and redemption cycle uh, that we see in the judges, um, God raises up people who speak his vision of shalom, his vision of justice. Isaiah 9 says this to us, and we know this because we sing it every Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. Later on in chapter 11, it says, He is like a shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Many of the Psalms are known as Messianic Psalms, and speak also of this coming King. And I'll just read to you some from Psalm 72. May the mountains bring prosperity. This is the word that that Jackie shared, it means this flourishing, it's shalom, the word used here is shalom. May the mountains bring shalom to the people, the hills of the fruit of justice. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. 
May all the kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save them from death. He will rescue from them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Throughout the writings and the prophets and the Psalms, we see this picture of this coming king that's going to restore shalom, that's going to restore justice the way God originally created. But the king doesn't come. The king doesn't come for hundreds of years, 400 years at least, from this prophecy. And the nations remain as corrupt as they were during that time, going through these sin and redemption cycles as God keeps providing grace after grace. Until one day, the king is born in a small town in Bethlehem, in a way that kings are not supposed to come, humbly, poorly, with questions about whether anything good can come from that place, being hunted by a jealous tyrant. But he lives amongst his people in the brokenness of the world and waits for when his time will come. And then on a day in the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is described in Leviticus 25. It's known as the year of Jubilee. It's the year in which the Israelites were supposed to provide freedom from oppression, from economic bondage to those who did not have, and to help one another so that there would be no poor in the land. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus claims that in himself, God's mission of justice is back on track. His kingdom of shalom is back on track. It has arrived. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. And he moves towards the fringes, towards the outcasts, towards the vulnerable, and he brings them into the kingdom. He teaches them a different set of values, where the least are the greatest, and the poor have his attention. He moves towards the source of this broken relationship that we have. And this is what the cross is about. With Jesus suffering for us, taking the punishment for us and with us, he himself becomes a victim of injustice, of religious intolerance, of economic corruption. In his death, he exchanges with the root cause of injustice in this world. And his resurrection means that his death, that, that death and evil no longer have the last word because the kingdom of God has arrived. And we're all called to be part of this kingdom. And the king shares his authority with us as his partners. Just as he partnered with the Israelites, he partners with us. Jesus partners with us and gives us the authority and says, do what I came to do. Bring the kingdom. 
Matthew 5 and verse 6, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. The word that we often read there is righteousness. The Greek word is dikaiosune, which means justice in ancient Greek. And it's translated as justice in the Spanish and the French and the Italian, Romanian, Portuguese Bibles around the world. And it means a right way of living before God that brings justice for all. Unfortunately, righteousness itself as a word has become semantically somewhat corrupted in our common day language. It feels very personal. It feels about me, my righteousness. But the word used here is the word justice, dikaiosune, justicio in the Latin. And it actually means a right way of living for the justice of everybody. For, the, for your social relationships. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his justice. And all these things will be given to you as well. This is the authority that we have. And this is the kingdom that we're called to bring. I hand that to you, Pastor. You know, as, um, as I hear the story, and I, I recognize the fact that it's sometimes difficult to, to track with the story when we leave out the little details. You know, there are lots of little details in the story that we've been telling that haven't been able to be told or mentioned in the way that we have. But it's the story of a father in his household. And in his household, he wants shalom. He wants to have good relationships in his household, under his roof. But as we saw with the story, as we heard the story being told, his children reject that. But as a loving father, he continues to fight for his family. He continues to come back and try to bring this shalom, this peace, this um, rest, English words fail to describe, as Jackie explained, what shalom truly means. This completeness in his household. And the story is this up and down story for us of coming back to him and saying sorry and then falling into sin again and then retreating back and then the father coming after us again and trying to install this picture of shalom into all of us. Because this was his initial plan. This was his standard right at the beginning where Jackie started for us. And then our story, as we know, our story climaxes in Revelation. And as we know, it comes to the end with the return of Jesus. And he comes to set all things right. And he comes to bring shalom in all of its fullness. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7, which is our final scene, describes it like this. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, 
new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The fullness of Shalom. I think on this side of Jesus coming, we cannot even imagine what the fullness and the completeness of shalom looks like in this world. With all of the brokenness and the death and the decay, I don't even have a starting point to understand what John is describing for us here. Imagine a world where there is complete peace. Where there is no chasing, where there is rest, where there is no pain, no crying. This is our end of the story. That is the fullness and the completeness of Shalom. And so we know how the story is going to end. What does that mean for us? Does that mean that we can sit back and fold our arms and wait for the completeness of this to come into fruition? I don't think so. I don't think that that is why Jesus calls us to be part of what it is that he is wanting to do in this world. We must engage with the brokenness. And we must ask God for his grace and the power of his Holy Spirit to be those people who are part of that team that will go upstream to find out what the root cause is. What is the source of the brokenness in our community, in our city, in our country, in the world? And we do that while we perform acts of mercy and generosity and compassion. You see, we must seek to set things right because that is what we have been called to do. Just like Jesus. We must want to be just like him. Asking for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. In his name. Will you pray with me?
Father, we thank you that we are part of your story. We thank you that we are not outsiders standing on the outside looking in, but we are characters in your story. We are part of those who you have called out and set apart to be part of your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that you gift us with gifts that enable us to be ones who work to bring your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Father, we thank you that even this morning as we could, we could come here and meditate just for these few moments again on the things that you love, the things that you desire, the things that you long to see in this world that you created. And we ask, Lord, that you would come and work in our hearts, work in our minds, Come and revive us again. Come and empower us to be those ones, your ambassadors, who seek to see your love, your justice, and your righteousness in all the earth. And to see your love cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In Jesus' name. May we ask the worship team to come up for our final song. <laughs>